Hey, I'm Alex. Hey, I'm Parv. And this is China Product. We are two Silicon Valley product managers, and we know how messy it can be. So we're here to talk about the ups and downs of being a PM. It's not always straightforward, but we're here to figure it out together. On this episode of Trying to Product, I think we want to talk about one of the most controversial topics. Not controversial, but just something that usually I think wouldn't hear on a product podcast, but why you shouldn't be a PM. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably not the most helpful topic coming from two PMs, but I think we might have the best insights into why you shouldn't be a PM. So in one way, it's actually the best people to talk about why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, especially like if you're like new to product, or you're just getting into it. It kind of gets you an insight into like what it looks like years later. Yeah. Or for those who are thinking about being aspiring product managers, trying to figure out like is this role something that they want to get into, you'll always find a lot of information out there around what you do as a PM, what are the roles, what are the skills, etc. But you know, there's always two sides to a coin. There's always some of these aspects about every role, in fact, not just a PM, but some things which are things that you should consider as well if you think they don't fit for you, then maybe being a PM is not the right thing. Yeah, definitely. Be able to go in with your eyes wide open. Exactly. Yeah. You never want to be in a situation where you look at all the glamour and the gold and the glitter, but then you come in and you're actually way more stressed, way more burnt out. And those things can happen at any role. And so hopefully this episode helps people just sort of see a little bit of the other side of the coin and can talk about why you shouldn't be a PM. You have anything on your mind? Like, how do you want to get started? I have a couple of things, but uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah let's, let's go into yours. I think the first one that I would say is the unpredictability day-to-day. Just being a PM, you aren't really 100% sure of how each day is going to look like. I mean, of course, you have your calendar and you have things mapped out, possibly for the week, the next two weeks. You have a kind of sense of your schedule. But I mean, honestly, I've had days where I walk into the office. I mean, that was before the pandemic, but like I walk into my virtual setup of like Slack and I've noticed six or seven messages, which are like four fires. And everything that I thought would be happening in the day is out the door. And there's a completely different schedule that looks like for me for that rest of the day. So that's one. I mean, do you you face that? No, no, 100%. I think every day is very unpredictable. Fires are definitely like they happen like at least a few times a month. And I don't know what comp- that says about us being yeah, <laughs> good I, PM I, if you're always in fires. <laughs> I feel like it depends on like where you are. But as a PM, like almost every role, it's just the variability in fires is anywhere from like one to six or seven or eight a month. If you have like 20 working days a month, almost half your time in some cases could just be like fighting fires because like something broke or some VP or some person found a bug or someone emailed them and now you have to like focus all your time on solving this. And yeah. that happens often enough that, it, yeah, to your point, it's super unpredictable. And like some days, great, you just have meetings from nine to five and you can't get any work done because of all the meetings. Other days you have fires and you got to fight fires from like nine to nine and then like figure out how to solve that. So 100%, the unpredictability is kind of wearing, I think, yeah. in some degree. I, like, I think the funny part is in both the things you mentioned around either you're fighting fires or you have nine to five meetings. With all that unpredictability, like, and the day-to-day being so different and usually packed with meetings, the one thing that you do miss out a lot on as a PM 
possibly, which I have now actively tried to make space for in my day to day is focus work. I think it's so important as a PM. I think it's very important as a PM to have that dedicated time for being able to do focus work and like deep dive into some of the flow state, as you say, to be able to get some of the work done. But again, like that unpredictability is so much that it's hard to manage that time or to build that muscle of actually having dedicated focus time every day. Yeah, like so much of our job is to think about the future, is to think about the strategy, the right way to execute. What is the right kind of product roadmap? Look at the metrics. We have so much you have to just do day to day outside of meetings. Meetings are essentially the, the execution way, like essentially make sure that the product is on path. But that ends up taking up most of the day. And then you have like maybe after 5 p.m. or after the day ends and after all the meetings stop, that's when you can do this individual work. But if you're supposed to do both, it's hard to kind of strike a balance where you can actually do focus work during a normal day. Yeah. And that's just like, I'm going to put that out there like as a small, I think that I'm trying to take back with me as a PM. One of my improvements is just, okay, being able to schedule add focus work time within the week or within specific areas of my schedule and then stick to it. That's just like, again, I know it's not- No, no, no. I'm in the exact same state. I'm like, guys, I'm like drawing a line. I can't be in this many meetings. Yeah. It's hard to do though because like- It is hard. Firefighting a lot of times is getting pulled into all these meetings. So if you're firefighting like eight times a month, then you just lost like full days. And now you have to also try to do your normal meeting load as well as your IC work. So it's something I'm trying to work on as well as like- can I like limit the number of meetings, have blocks of focus time? It's always constant kind of struggle. Yeah. Can you bring some predictability in your day-to-day? As a PM, there's always going to be that fires, right, that we talked about. And one of the things that's kind of connected here is just, you know, stakeholder management. Like that's a big part of PMs, being a PM. And as you said, you never know when a stakeholder is requesting some sort of information or there's something that has broken or there's something that someone needs. And the first person that you go to is the PM a lot of the times. And that just means that constantly switching contexts, which is, again, one of the things which I feel is if you're not a huge fan of constant context switching. I don't think anybody is. Yeah, I don't think anybody is. But like, you have to be okay with switching context a lot during the day as a PM. So if that's something that you feel like is going to be hard to adapt to, then that's, I think, one of the connected reasons to our first point. But one of the no, other no, reasons I, yeah, 100% agree. I think, I think that's a good point. It's like, we don't really talk about the cost of switching, uh, switching costs. Every time like you're in a meeting, there's always that ramp up period or kind of like ramp down for the meeting, ramp up until yeah. like focus time. Yeah, you might have four meetings a day, but when those meetings are like an hour apart each, you're not getting anything done. And that's yeah. like part of the context switching part is like, just depending on how the meetings are scheduled and how the blocks are, like some days you could have four meetings and they could just be so perfectly spaced that you're not going to get a single thing done that day. Yeah. Except maybe replying to emails. And that happens like way too often. <laughs> I feel like it's, if you have two meetings and you have 30 minutes within it, I'm usually in the boat where the first 15 minutes of that break, I'm just like recovering from the first yep. meeting. And yep. the second 15 minutes, I'm just anxious about the next meeting. Yep. And I've just like lost I, those 30 I'm, minutes. Yeah, I'm the exact same way. And I imagine like most folks are, you, it's kind of just dead time. Yeah. You can reply to some emails, you can get half of something done, but you can't like get into it. Yeah. And so then you have to like try to rearrange your meetings so they're all back to back, which is also wearing. So you have some focus time or just try to exit some meetings, but then like then you lose context. Yeah. So then you yeah. have this kind of trade-off was like, do I attend this meeting? That's more optional, but like I lose the context for whatever they're gonna talk about. So whenever I have to write the requirements or whenever that part is brought up in later discussions, I'm not gonna know. Is that worth like is that lack of is that like 
that is missing out worth this focus time. So yeah. there's always a kind of this trade-off in the back of your mind as you try to like block off more of your calendar. Yeah. I feel like that's one that I struggle with the most. I think every role I've had this problem. I think maybe one area is like startups. Unless you're working with a lot of outside, like if it's more of a B2B and you're working with other clients, then you typically have a lot of meetings. But like outside of that, normally you can you have a lot more focus time. Like I remember one time I just told the CEO like, hey, like I need to focus on this. I'm gonna just going to be home for the next two weeks. And I'm just going like, to figure out the roadmap, figure out the UX and like figure out everything. I'm going to be home for two weeks and I'm not taking any meetings. And he's like, okay, sounds good. But like in a big company, like you can't do that. I kind of want to try that now. Just be like, hey, I'm not going to. It was amazing. I figured out the entire two-year roadmap in like two weeks. And then I had it. I had the PRD. I had the wireframes. I had everything. But like, and then everything got thrown out because strategy changed immediately. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything changed like three weeks later. But yeah. but yeah, that's something you can do in startups. You have more flexibility. Mm, interesting. But in big companies, yeah. like. So much of your role is just meeting with people, making sure everyone's up to speed and that kind of thing. So it's, it's a lot harder. Oh, wow. But yeah, what else, if you're thinking about being a PM, what other sort of things should keep in mind? Yeah, I think another thing is just like you're responsible for this product. Like you were talking about earlier with the VPs and different stakeholders coming to you. The reason they're coming to you is because you are the owner of this product and that means you should know everything about it. Yeah. And every lever that can be pulled you should know how to pull that lever. So when there's a fire, when there's an issue, like it's up to you to figure out how to resolve it. Yeah. I know people throw around this term like you're CEO of the product, which I don't necessarily agree with, but you are at some level responsible for it. You are kind of the gatekeeper, as you said, right? Like if anything's coming in, it usually is you're the first stop. So you're always in that central node from any incoming node. And you have to be like, always responsible for answering questions or anything like, hey, what's the KPI here? What's the KR here? What's the functionality here? What's the expected result here? What's the... Like, why did you launch this without telling me? Because yeah. my team is impacted, like escalations. Like, <laughs> yeah. These are all um, like, essentially you as the PM are responsible. Why for, haven't you launched this yet? Yeah. Because my team is impacted by this. Like everything falls on you yeah. to, to figure out, to resolve, kind of put away. So that responsibility sometimes weighs, I think, heavily, depending, yeah. especially depending yeah. on the product. Your decision impacts all these other teams who are also influenced by your decision with that product. Like their KPIs are affected by that product. Yeah. On top of that, essentially all the engineering resources, all of the design resources, all of like these company resources are on your shoulders to yeah. ensure that they're being used properly and effectively to move the company metrics forward. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's very true. I think it's just that responsibility is huge. And it, it kind of connects into, I think, another point that we were talking about why you shouldn't be a PM is that the sense of like being responsible and then having accountability, but no real authority, right? Like you aren't necessarily the one who is in charge of the individuals who are on the team. Yeah. It's um, like this idea of soft power. Essentially, you aren't their manager. So if you like, are like, hey, like we have to go this direction, you have to come up with a convincing argument, which oftentimes is a good way to stress test. Like if the team believes in your argument, yeah, it's yeah. probably valid, but sometimes teams don't have the full context and you have to essentially give them that full context, which then takes a lot of time. Yeah. Sometimes like formulating that argument, formulating the decks, yep. trying to make a convincing argument yeah. takes a lot of time. Yeah, 100%. You are, 100% of the time you're trying to convince someone. You're always in that convincing mode. And of course, there are ways as a PM where you can convince people easily by having, you know, a lot of, as you said, like a good story behind it, having your KRs, KPIs, your metrics in the right place and being able to make, build off of some of that data. But Again, from an outside perspective, you're accountable for a lot of things that you need to deliver, but you really don't have that authority over who is building it. 
or who's part of the team and you are convincing them constantly to work as a team and help build that product or that feature or deliver an initiative. I think also as a PM, like part of the argument is always data or industry best practices or some other competitors. You have to have like some type of thing that you can fall back on to bolster the argument. But sometimes it's just intuition. It's like, it is, yeah. I don't think that this is going to work because of this, this and that. If that's not enough, you can't move the team. And if you can't move the team, then you have to figure out some other strategy. And sometimes the thing that you can back up is not necessarily what you think is the best option. Yeah, that's true. It does feel like when you're working with engineering, you're working with design, with research, like, I mean, they all have their own orgs that they report into. They have their own managers. They have their own goals and sort of internal KPIs that they're meeting as a team, as an individual that are being tracked by their manager. You aren't necessarily part of those conversations. So you're kind of living off of borrowed time yeah. from every individual. And it's that like... Beg, borrow, and steal. I yeah, think that's beg, like the, the mantra. <laughs> yeah. Try to get resources wherever you can. <laughs> yep, exactly. I think that's one thing I'm learning as well is just constantly evaluating the need for resourcing or just understanding, being able to make a good guess or estimate of like how much resources you need because that is an argument that you have to be making a lot of the times as a PM specifically. I think that's one, you know, accountability without authority. That can be something that folks might struggle with. That could be something that's hard. And one of those reasons where you might want to stay clear of being a PM if that doesn't sound that appealing. Having to sell your idea like constantly. Everything is just selling. Selling this narrative, learning how to like be convincing. You're never not selling. Yeah. Like you're always selling or answering questions. Like well, I guess it depends on which stage of the project you're stage, in. Yeah. So like when you're like launching, everyone's asking you why you yeah. launched, what you launched. And when you're like trying to get people to do something to like take on a new project, then you're trying to sell it, like why this is good for them, all that kind of stuff. So you're, you're always, always selling. And then once it's sold, you're always answering why you sold it. Yeah. And then putting out fires for people who are mad that you sold yeah. it. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Anything else that comes to mind? I think those are the three ones, but. Yeah, no, I think I kind of touched on it earlier. Like if you're always selling, you're always trying to convince people, like from the moment you have an idea to the moment you actually are able to execute and launch that idea, there's typically this kind of delayed gratification. The best feeling is like spending all this time on something and being able to like go see what users think. Now, they're not always happy, but like you actually like put something out there in people's hands. Sometimes you get to see your friends actually using what you made, especially for some bigger companies or if they're like if it's something more in the consumer side, which is such a like satisfying feeling. But going from idea to selling to execution to QA to launch is such a long period that by the time it actually launches, like at least I feel like I don't care as much as like when I first had that idea. Yeah. That's so true. Like that delayed gratification is a really, really big piece of being a PM. It takes time. You come up with an idea. And as you said, that the entire life cycle goes through and then it goes in front of someone. And sometimes those projects can take like months, could take years sometimes having that launch. And all you have to show for in those six, seven months is just like documentation and meetings. Although I know we talked about this in one of the previous episodes as well, is like, how do you find moments of gratification and like gratitude and instant gratification while you're a PM, like things like a successful meeting is a way of being something to be happy about is that hit of instant gratification, two stakeholders aligning where you thought they wouldn't, that's kind of like, those are all hacks and tricks that you could use. And they are genuine also, I wouldn't say hacks, but overall, I think delayed gratification is a big piece. And you have to be okay with that as the PM. You know, I know we've talked about this, you don't have the gratification of like writing a line of code and then seeing that work immediately when you compile. Yeah, I know 100%. I think there's delayed gratification, everything that like you put a debt together, you're able to convince people and they're all kind of like steps toward this larger thing. 
but it's a very different feeling than like you said, like putting code and then like seeing the code, like actually work, designing something and then seeing it go into production. You're not really making anything as that's very tangible. And so that kind of lack of being able to like feel your work and touch your work and see your work beyond just the documents and the artifacts that you make is definitely a very different feeling, especially if you're coming from more like the engineering or the design side and you get into PM. And now like you used to be able to like make a wireframe, put the pixels up and see how it looks and be like, man, it feels really good. And then in PM, like you really probably shouldn't be doing that. So now you write this doc and at the end of the doc, you're just like, there's a lot of words here. <laughs> it's a very different feeling yeah. in a lot of ways. That's a big one. I don't know. I'm slowly coming to terms with it, but I think I have to find ways outside of work. Where see, I see, get that that's, instant yeah, no, I think that's in my solve. Yeah, that really? 100%. Oh. So yes, yeah, so I think like, especially with the pace that bigger companies move and even larger startups, you're not going to be able to get that same level of gratification as like if you make your own thing. Like the nice thing now with all the tools, like if you make your own side projects is like, I can look in Hotjar, I can see someone doing something wonky on the website. I can go to Webflow, I can change the website and I've just fixed the problem. Yeah. It's like within like 30 minutes, I can spot a problem, fix the problem, even less. And that's such an immense feeling Yeah, that it can also like kind of like feed into your work. Like it, yeah, can like, that's true. it can help. I mean, least, everything's connected. You're right. Yeah. I just had this project that launched like a month ago and I've been working on it for nine months. But by the time it launches, like you don't really but feel you anything. you also moved on to the starting phases of next initiatives yeah. or projects. Yeah, because like you're, you're always after the next project. Exactly. You're always doing. Yeah. So like this is a project you initiate like a year, year and a half before and it launches, but you're already like working on the next five. Yeah. It's like weirdly that feeling of you're always running behind or like there's always something. Well, you're running ahead, right? Because like. I think for this, like you write the specs, right? The specs are like, you gather the requirements, you codify the requirements, you like, then essentially you're in meetings to sign off, make sure everyone, like any clarifications you're able to answer. But most of your work has already been done. You're just kind of guiding the ship at that yeah, point. Yeah. So by the time something actually like lands, it launches, it's gone through so many different hands. So much has happened since like you wrote your requirements that you're not really like part of it. You're not part of the day-to-day -day at that point. Like maybe the QA is your last touch point. And then whenever it launches after QA is probably one, maybe weeks, depending on the company. But I do think, like, as you said, this particular piece of delayed gratification is one that you can try and figure out from an organization perspective as well. Yeah, there's lots of different ways to tackle this. And I, I think like your point where like you have like these little touch points that they like kind of make it feel more tangible to you, like the deck or the requirements or the QA or like any of these kind of things, like seeing the design come to life. There's all sorts of different levels yeah. that you can kind of feel like you're actually like making progress and feel good about what you thought about. No, yeah. So I think the last thing, at least on my mind, is probably loneliness. I think we've touched on this yeah. in previous episodes, but... Isolation as a PM. I remember as, that yeah, one. Yeah, as a PM. You really are like kind of an island in a lot of ways. You work with engineers, you work with design, you work with other PMs. But for your product, you kind of are not the CEO, as we just said, but like you are essentially kind of the person in charge of that. And so you're working with all these other groups. But again, like at the end of the day, it's kind of just you on your own yeah. thinking about the ideas, trying to come up with ideas with the team. But you're in charge of the metrics. You're in charge of doing the research. You're in charge of so much of this stuff. And you don't really have like a counterpart normally to kind of work together with. You could talk pair, to other PMs. Pair but PMing is not a thing. Yeah, pair PMing is not a thing. It's too expensive. Yeah. So typically like you can talk to other PMs, but they're not going to have the same context as you. Yeah, but I don't know. True. What's been your experience? No, I think... I think that's fair. And we've actually talked in depth about this one as well, right? Being a PM can be isolating. Like, as you said, we are always connected with so many different stakeholders and people, but you're still also alone in a sense because you are the only one thinking about the things that no one else is thinking about. And 
a lot of the other folks that you interact with, they're so varied that you're always putting on a different hat when you're interacting with them, with each different one. And then you come back and you're just like, okay, that's it. Like you're back with your own thoughts, back with your own PRD, back with your own sort of strategy and thinking. And it could get lonely in that sense of you're the only one who's trying to figure out or deal with this problem. And that feeling can sometimes build up. At the end, you're responsible for it. Yeah. So like if it fails, it's not the engineer's fault. It's not like anyone else's fault. Like if the strategy falls flat, if it doesn't land, it's your fault. You didn't think of something or you didn't do... You might have missed properly. something, yeah. Or a lot of times, like, it's not really your fault. It's you not... did everything properly and it still failed. Yeah. The consumers yeah, yeah. didn't like it. The research was wrong. Whatever it is, there's a thousand reasons something can fail beyond your control. Yeah. Even if you do the best strategy, the best yeah. job as you can as a PM, when the thing doesn't work, it's still your fault. Yeah. I mean, it's a part of it. It is, again, one of those things that hopefully it's not something that everyone experiences as a PM a lot, but it is a thing. I feel like it is worth calling out. It can sometimes feel like that. and. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, it's just a part of it. I mean, anytime you launch anything, there's a probably higher chance that it fails than it succeeds. It depends on what you launch, the type of company. If you're in a startup, essentially, you're mostly launching things that are expected to fail. So there's kind of a feeling that it's not going to land with customers. At bigger companies, you're essentially launching much smaller things. So it's kind of less risk. But even when you're launching smaller things, if people don't like them, like it in the market, a lot of big companies, you're going to see it in the press. They're going to see what you launch and they're going to say like, huh, this is a weird feature. This doesn't yeah. work as we expected. Even if all the UXR data was telling you that this is perfect. Yeah, it, it can happen. There's a lot of other ways to measure project success and, yeah. and a lot of ways to also measure and, and see the failure in real time. Yeah. So if I recap all the points that we talked about, why you shouldn't be a PM, we had the unpredictable nature, the day-to-day -day being not so certain. The second, which was the immense responsibility that we have, just like, all the stakeholders that we're dealing with. We have the accountability without authority part of it. Delayed gratification, the big one. Yep. And then last, I think, you know, as we talked about, was I think isolation and loneliness as a PM as well. Any others that come to mind? In my head, those are like the five big ones. I think the responsibility, I think this is the other attribute is like the companies put a lot of responsibility on you and that responsibility is partly for the product, but it's also for like millions of dollars of their resources. And like you're pushing all the engineering, like what your decision is ends up influencing tens of millions of dollars of company assets, of company resourcing to essentially push forward a strategy that's supposed to affect the company in a positive way. And I think it also depends on the type of person you are, right? If you're someone who like sees that like, oh, my decision is going to affect $100 million of company resourcing, I need to make the best decision. Like that puts a lot of stress yeah. on you. And I think it depends on the type of person, but I think a lot of PMs, they want to do the best job. And to do the best job, a lot of that is putting this stress and this pressure on yourself to do and think the best that you possibly can. But like we talked about, there's all these other kind of constraints on you. There's all these meetings. There's all these things that are kind of dragging you down. So you're trying to do the best that you can, understanding the risk that if you push the company in the wrong direction, you're costing like 300, 400 times your salary mm -hmm. in cost of the company. And that sometimes spirals in some yeah. cases. So you, something to be aware of. So the underlying stress through all of these yes, things yeah. that we talked about is another one of those reasons why you might not want to be a PM. But yep, of course, you know, as you've talked about in previous episodes, there is a lot of good to it. There's a lot of the pros to it. It is a fun job. I can't remember where I read this, but it said product management is the most fun you can have with your clothes on. <laughs> I like that. So, you know, there's always that aspect to it as well. Yeah. You're the architect. Yeah. I mean, Essentially, you're the one telling everybody and convincing them on what to do. And there's a lot of kind of 
gratification. I mean, delayed gratification. Yeah. To, is, to executing I, on that. Of course. But yeah, so, you know, in case anyone's wondering if there should be or not be a PM, hopefully this just helps shed light on some of the other aspects of why you shouldn't be a PM. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Cool.